Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints. This is the Saints Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Here's your host, Ryan O'Leary and Saints Wire editor, John Siegler. All right, John, the Taysom Hill experience, as I've been calling it on the podcast all year, I think it's now morphed into the Taysom Hill show, or at least it did on Sunday. What was your first impression of Taysom Hill taking all the snaps as the starting quarterback for the Saints? How'd you feel about it? Yeah, man, uh, Taysom time. It was much more, um, it looked much more typical of what you see out of most quarterbacks on most Sundays than I expected. Um, the Saints, they didn't really get weird with their formations, with their personnel packages. Um, I believe this was a season low for personal personnel package variety for them. So they were really trying to use a condensed playbook, try and ease Taysom in, not really make life hard on him. And I think that's smart. I mean, I think that's the right approach to take for any quarterback in his first NFL start, no matter how old he is or how often he's played before or has not. And, you know, we saw some negative plays in the first half. But the pass rush got to him a little bit. But to his credit, Taysom really seemed to settle in there around halftime. Uh, he came out sort of the second half playing very effective, very efficient football, um, and he barely impressive as a thrower, I thought. Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, in the first half when his numbers weren't super like exciting yet, you know, people on Twitter were starting to freak out. All those people that had him at tight end in their fantasy lineup, right, were, were getting very nervous that Taysom wasn't going to have a big statistical game and not have that big payoff. But I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool to watch him settle in and to watch him drop back and play quarterback. He wasn't scrambling around and running every play. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I think maybe people in fantasy were hoping he would run more, right? He was dropping back and throwing the ball. It was coming out on time. It looked pretty good. He's throwing the ball downfield. You look at Michael Thomas's stat line, 100 yards, catching nine balls. I mean, that's... That's like a typical Saints line that you would see, right? So, but I guess my question for you, John, was we talked last week about kind of guessing what Sean Payton was going to do. You never know with Sean Payton, right? And I guess we kind of expected to see some Jameis Winston with Taysom mixed in, maybe more than usual, but we expected to see some Jameis Winston. Were you surprised that Jameis wasn't part of the game plan, that he, you know, was just a backup quarterback and it was all Taysom? Were you surprised at all by that? You know, the only thing that surprised me, <laughs> and phrasing it that way is kind of, Undersells it sure. was that Taysom got the start. Um, I fully expected it to be Jameis Winston based off how things went with Ted Bridgewater last year. In hindsight, I really should have considered the experience that Teddy had in the system at that time versus what Jameis has had this year. And so it makes sense for the Saints to go with the guy who knows their system better, who's been here longer, who might have a better feel for going into this game. And so I wasn't really shocked to see the Saints roll with just just Taysom in at quarterback, really, because that's what they did with Teddy last year. Um, when, when Breeze went down last season, it was Teddy Bridgewater uh, predominantly with Taysom Hill kind of not getting in there often. You know, he didn't play much with special teams. He didn't catch a lot of passes. He was really the, the backup quarterback last year. And I think that's the same situation with Jameis Winston where they're not comfortable risking an injury with their second QB. You know, they really only, only want to put one guy out there at a time. They, they want to focus on max, maxing out his abilities. And I really think that's the way to go. And it's what I would anticipate happening here over the next few weeks. There's no doubt about it that Adam Schefter was all over this. He was His reporting was spot on, even though Sean Payton didn't officially announce anything. I think until pregame is when he finally officially named Taysom the starter, right? The players are stretching on the field. Yeah, and at, uh, 10, at, yeah. yeah at 10.21 a.m. Yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, that was <laughs> 
hilarious. Yeah, I love that. So who do you think was Schefter's source? Do you think it was Sean Payton himself or maybe Drew Brees? Like, I'm sure it was like someone in the know high up. You know what I mean? Like he had a good source. Yeah, it was probably someone on the coaching staff. I don't yeah. think it would be Sean Payton because the first guy Sean Payton calls when he wants to leak something is Jay Blazer with Fox Sports. Okay, good. Um, that, that, so, that's his, that's yeah. his BFF. Uh, they've been friends for two decades now. They're, they're super close. When Andrews Pete had a hand injury in training camp practice earlier this year, um, some reports came out that, you know, oh, this might be a season-threatening issue, blah, blah, blah. Peyton called Jay Glazer that day to straight to uh, get, get the record straight, essentially, and, and say this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what our what we anticipate from this to be. So, if you want, if, if the word is coming from Peyton himself, it's going to go to Jay Glazer first. So as far as Shepard's reporting, um, he's been, he has some, some well-placed sources in with the Saints. Uh, he's been on things like this before um, with the Alvin Kamara extension this year, the, the Michael Thomas extension a year ago, mm. and Taysom Hill uh, get, getting the starting quarterback nod. And you just tweeted about this today. We're recording on a Wednesday. You could see it on the field. Like Michael Thomas was kind of joking post-game about the fastballs that Taysom throws. And you just can you get a sense watching the players that Taysom, he's a well-liked guy by the coaches and the players, right? They're all kind of rallying around him and like him and I thought it was really telling there's a couple of shots of Drew Brees and his reaction to some of the plays Taysom was making some of the big plays and they just caught Drew in like kind of a, a genuine moment where he's just got this smile and this look on his face where he's just like you could see he's genuinely happy for the kids so there's no doubt you tweeted about this John they freaking love Taysom over there in New Orleans there's no doubt about that oh for sure for sure you know he's a, a very popular guy in the locker room and the same players have been caping for Taysom for years now um, when he first signed his contract extension and there was this big pushback from um, you know, these, these really smart NFL writers who lose their minds and get too emotional whenever Taysom's involved. Right. They're criticizing the move, saying, oh, he's only thrown this many passes. You had Saints scout team linebackers jumping on them on Twitter saying, hey, you don't know what this guy does in practice. Like, we have a better idea of who he is than you do, and you just need to stand back and watch the show. And that, that says so much even beyond what we're seeing here during games when Taysom has the the lead extending touchdown run, and you have Jameis Winston run in off the sideline to dap him up. I mean, he's a very popular guy. He's someone that this team loves playing with. They're, they're more than happy to rally around. Um, and I think it really bodes well for where this team is headed the next few weeks. More on the Taysom Hill Show coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. Corey Bonini with thehuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays entering week 12. New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones returns from his bye week to face a team that is emotionally deflated after losing quarterback Joe Burrow. The Bengals have given up three 30-plus point games in the last five weeks and one that was nearly 22 points. This matchup is 32.3% better than the league average over the last five weeks, and it offers Jones a chance to redeem himself after what has been pretty much a horrid second year. Gamers will have to act fast on this one because it's a Thanksgiving Day game. Baltimore Ravens running back Gus Edwards is in line to see the bulk of the touches after J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram were placed on the COVID-19 list. The upside for Edwards is he faces a team that allowed 16 carries, 87 yards and a touchdown to him in week eight. The downside is Pittsburgh's been pretty good against running backs all year long. Anytime you have a guy who has an opportunity for the lion's share of work, it's worth getting him into the lineup. Indianapolis Colts rookie wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. versus the Tennessee Titans. These teams met in week 10 and Pittman posted seven catches, 101 yards, but he didn't find 
in the end zone. He did make it into the end zone last week, however, for his first pro touchdown. Pittman has averaged six targets in the last three games, and he's produced wide receiver three or flex territory numbers. He's only getting more comfortable in the offense, and now he has one of the finest matchups of the year facing him in week 12. Minnesota Vikings tight end Irv Smith Jr. faces the Carolina Panthers. Prior to suffering a groin injury a couple weeks ago, he was on the right track and was heating up. Now he gets a chance to rebound, facing one of the worst defenses of his position. Carolina has given up seven different performances of at least 10 PPR points in the last six games against tight ends, and all five of the touchdowns allowed this year have come in the last eight contests. Smith is risky, but there's plenty of upside to be found here. For all of your fantasy football tips, information, news, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. So, John, we're just coming out of our fantasy segment there by thehuddle.com, and I think an interesting little fantasy question. So I was watching the game with a friend, and he had Alvin Kamara in his little daily fantasy lineup, and he was all upset that Kamara wasn't getting enough touches and he wasn't involved in the passing game. And then I see on the Saints wire that this is actually the first game in Kamara's career, right, where he's held without a catch. And uh, so I think it's interesting. With Taysom under center, it is going to change the offense a little bit. Now, some of the offense kind of looks like we're used to seeing, but there's definitely going to be some differences with Taysom Hill in there, obviously. And I'm what I think Kamara's usage in his touches is going to be an interesting one, right? Because now, you know, obviously Taysom's going to be involved in the run game a little bit more if he's under center every play or in the shotgun or whatever. You know, maybe some of these, the short passing game that we're used to with Breeze is going to morph a little bit to more of that intermediate down the field thing that Taysom showed he could do against the Falcons, right? So what do you think changes the most with Taysom under center? But what do you think specifically about Kamara and his touches? Yeah, so the big difference to me is that the Saints offense is wide open for the first time since like gosh 2015 2014 yeah, maybe um, and you know that's not even a knock on Drew Brees in, in the sense that Brees has always been one of the, the most efficient most effective deep ball throwers in the NFL but he has you know gotten away from that in recent years I mean the Saints only took two or three deep shots all season in 2019 and 2018 as we've adjusted here but with Taysom I mean we saw him he, he has a rocket <laughs> I mean I mean you alluded to that earlier with the Michael Thomas uh, that, that yeah. very uncharacteristic drop yeah where, that was weird you know, to, to, yeah Taysom, uh, he threw his fastball, and it went right through Michael Thomas's hands, and Thomas was looking at his hands like, guys, you, you, you've let me down. You betrayed me all these <laughs> yeah, years seriously. of hand yoga, and it's gone. <laughs> For what? And so... I do think we're going to see more vertical passing. The, the Saints, I think they showed more in the 15 to 25-yard range. I don't know that we're necessarily going to see these 40, 50-yard bombs week in, week out with Taysom, but we are going to see the Saints push the envelope a little bit further and try and hit on more of these out routes, these posts, um, do, do more to stretch the field. Now, for AK specifically, I think this was a trend-breaking game for the Saints because if you go back and look at a lot of Taysom's usage at quarterback over the last few years, the vast majority of those plays have been Taysom in the shotgun on an option play with Alvin Kamara lined up right next to him or in motion. And so whenever he's been on the field the last two years, AK has been right there with him. And so that was kind of a cue, kind of a tell for the defense that the ball was good. Either either Taysom was keeping it or he was going to hand it off to Kamara or throw to Kamara. And the Saints, to me, it seemed like they were making a point to not involve AK as much this game. My, my personal theory is that it was, a, it was a trend breaker where they want to put up different tape, they want to make defenses account for different things than what they have seen in taste with limited sample size. And to me, that feels like the most realistic explanation. On the other hand, Kamara has been limited in practice for two weeks now with, with a foot injury. Now, he described that as kind of joking, like, oh, I, I banged the heck out, out of my toe on my bedpost. It's no big deal. And he's really played it down. But if you look at his usage, the last two weeks, he's really been dialed back. The Saints have not been leaning on him as often. 
outside of critical third downs and red zone period. They've been involving Latavius Murray more in, in, in the offense. He had a couple of catches in this game with the Falcons. Um, and to his credit, he made, he made the most of those opportunities, and that's kind of been his story with the Saints since he signed with them last year. So from a fantasy perspective, I would kind of temper my expectations for Kamara with the first few weeks of facing that quarterback. But things should normalize once they've put together a, a larger body of work for Taysom for defenses to have to study. That's very interesting. That's a, that's great insight for those playing daily fantasy. Maybe the salary for Kamara isn't going to add up to his usage here right now, but maybe that'll change going forward. That's that's an interesting tidbit, no doubt. And with Taysom playing the way he did, John, and now we know we're going to see him continue under center for a couple weeks as we wait on whatever's going on with Drew Brees. I can't help but go here as a Patriots fan and a person who lives out here in New England and it's not the same thing. This is not a perfect comparison, but bear with me. It does kind of remind me of the Mo Lewis hit on Drew Bledsoe thing back in 2001 where Drew Bledsoe, the starter for the Patriots, gets knocked out. He's got broken ribs, a collapsed lung, internal bleeding, all this stuff going on and he, you know, is forced to the sideline for a time and Tom Brady comes in and he starts playing well right away and the fans love him and it's just like a, this great thing. And then five, six weeks later, Drew Bledsoe is cleared and Bill Belichick has this big quarterback decision he's got to make and and it just like all the hot take artists are coming out and this is back in 2001 so just imagine in 2020 with twitter and all that stuff you know and i know it's still kind of uncertain and it's a little sketchy right now but if drew Brees is ready to go with this chiefs game in week 15 john and Taysom is progressing and getting better every week and he's playing good football and the saints are locking down this number one seed in the nfc man is that going to be an interesting storyline you know sean payton's going to come out and be like i'm not telling you guys anything you have to wait and see on game you know what i mean this, it's going to be this like hilarious thing where everyone Everyone's shooting their hot takes all over Twitter. We're all going to try to figure out, oh, is Sean Payton going to stick with Taysom or he's going to go back to Drew Brees? Like, that is going to be an interesting little thing, you know, and I can't help but go there. I think it's it's valid to an extent. There is a point where every quarterback becomes too good to take off the field. I don't know that Taysom is going to reach that this season just because the limitations we saw in his, his first game, his only game so far, um, he would have to make a ton of growth. He would need to, I don't know, throw for 300 and, and run for 100 for several weeks in a row maybe, um, win several games by double digits in order to start that conversation. So there, there is certainly a scenario where the Saints have a healthy Drew Brees and they stick with Jason Hill. However, I would not anticipate that happening. And this is definitely Drew Brees' team. And Drew Brees returned this year so that he could lead this team to the Super Bowl. I'm working with the assumption that Brees is going to return here before the end of the season, possibly for that Chiefs game, possibly a week sooner if he's fully healed up um, against the Eagles. But like I said, I mean, th- there's a point where you take Alex Smith out and you put Patrick Mahomes in and you leave him in. There's a point where you take out Drew Brudzo and you put in Tom Brady. And there could be a point where you take out Drew Brees and you leave in face of Hill. But I just don't know that we're there yet. Yeah, Taysom... It was a fun debut, and he played well, and he threw the ball, and and he looked good, and it, it was great. But they only scored 24 points. You know, it wasn't perfect. And really, if we're really looking at this, it's the defense right now, right? You look at the last three games for the Saints defense. They have been on a freaking tear, John, since that Bucks win. So last three games, the defense has surrendered 26 points total. And that's a ridiculous stat line. I, I know Trey Hendrickson is just like balling out. He continues to ball out, sacking quarterbacks left and right. He's up there tied for the league lead, right? So Taysom's got some help, right? He's got a healthy Michael Thomas. He's got a defense that's balling out. And 
I agree with you. I think it's going to take a lot. I think if Drew Brees is healthy, we'll probably see Drew Brees, at least in some capacity, down the stretch. But there's no doubt that the defense right now is the reason the Saints are in a great spot to lock down this number one seed right now. Yeah, and to me, that was kind of the story of this game, where as exciting yep. as Taysom was, as hyped up as we all were to see him, the defense took over. Uh, they sacked Matt Ryan eight times. They picked him off twice. They killed the Falcons' run game. Uh, I mean, they, they were just dominant from the second drive. I mean, on that first drive, we had, had the one long completion to Calvin Ridley when uh, Janoris Jenkins tripped over his own feet, but he certainly made up made up for it with his interception late in the fourth quarter. So, you know, the defense is, is rolling right now. They've got a, a great opponent coming up with, with the Broncos. I think they match up very well against Denver where they can stop the run game, they can force Drew Locke to make some throws. And, I mean, we saw Drew Locke in his, in his, his uh, Friday press conference. Uh, he, he kind of admitted that, you know, sometimes I'll make a throw, and as the ball leaves my hand, I'll think, oh, no. No! And, and, yeah, exactly. and, 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 yeah, and the Saints have the personnel to take advantage of those situations. Uh, they've got guys like Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams, uh, Jack Rabbit himself, Marshawn Lattimore, they got defensive backs who can read these bad throws that the quarterback wants wants to take back as soon as it leaves his hand, and they can take that away with an interception. One player I'm really excited about is linebacker Juan Alexander. We've seen him in two games now, and in two games he has been so disruptive. He's mm-hmm. flying around the field. He's disrupting plays. He's making the right reads. He's getting to the spot. There have been a few plays where he missed the tackle, but in the greater team of things, what he did was slow down the ball carrier for his, long enough for his teammates to get there and clean it up. And that, that's, that's a, a plus play in my book. I mean, that's something I'm crediting him for. I'm not taking that away from him. He had two drop interceptions against um, the Falcons this past week. Uh, where he just read where the ball was going before the snap. He came flying into the flat, and if he keeps his head up, if he keeps his hands up, then he, he, he takes it to the house twice. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to show just how much he's added to the Saints defense here in Week 12 against the Broncos. Yeah, there's no doubt that Drew Locke, he's going to throw you a couple. And he likes to do it early in the game. First quarter, second quarter. That's when he likes to throw his interceptions, John. So look out for that on Sunday. But Yeah, he's, he's, he's very Tom brady in that <laughs> Hey, don't do that to me. I know Tom's having a, he's having a, tough, <laughs> he's having a tough Thanksgiving this year. I don't know if Giselle's even talking to him this, this year after that performance on Monday night. That was, that was brutal. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about this Saints-Broncos matchup. And also, I want everyone to know what John's eating on Thanksgiving night. What, what's, what's John cooking in his oven uh, or on his grill or in his smoker for Thanksgiving? we got to get into that to. We'll do that coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, happy Thanksgiving from Sportsbook Wire and Betslip and Podcast. I'm Eston McLaren, joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 12 Monday Night Football game between the Seattle Seahawks and Philadelphia Eagles. The Seahawks come in on the road, minus 250 Moneyline favorites. They're laying five points at minus 110 odds. The Eagles, plus 205 on the Moneyline, plus five-point dogs at home, minus 110 odds again, over under 51 and a half. Jeff, how are you feeling? Do the Eagles have any chance of keeping up with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks? Nope, and you could talk the rest of the time. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm taking the Seahawks minus five. Uh, Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz are on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of performance. Um, 
Russell Wilson was flirting with an MVP run. Maybe not so much anymore. Carson Wentz leads the NFL in interceptions. It's all bad news over there in the city of brotherly love between Doug Peterson, um, the GM, Howie Roseman, and Carson Wentz. A lot of people are in trouble over there if they don't get this game in, or if they don't win this game, and I'll take the Seahawks minus five. Minus 110 odds for the Seahawks to win by at least six points. I'm going to parlay that with the over 51 and a half Minus 106 odds, so a little bit better value there. Seattle and the over 51.5 odds from BetMGM. Subscribe to BetSilvan Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. John, what's going on for Thanksgiving with you? I know you were, you were thinking about a duck on Twitter, but we talked right before we hopped on here, and I know that now the duck is not in your plan. So what's going on? What are you eating on Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's just going to be me at home, um, kind of rolling solo this year. So I'm going to smoke some wings, some boudin on the grill. Probably going to make a, sea, a seafood uh, dressing. I've got some shrimp, some bell peppers, onions, celery, all that good stuff. Going to make, make some cornmeal, some cornbread, excuse me. Corn, cornbread seafood dressing is on the menu. Uh, I'm going to give uh, homemade cranberry sauce another shot. I found one recipe that was a bust a couple weeks ago. A good friend gave me his family recipes. So we're going to give that a shot instead. Um, and one thing I'm really interested to try here, I've got a smoked sweet potato casserole recipe from howtobarbecuewrite.com. And I'm really interested to try this out. Um, it, should, it should be a fun time. Uh, watch some football. Watch um, something besides uh, Raven Steelers Thursday night. That's been both fun. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure we'll make do. That's a lot. There's a lot on your menu there. I always get hungry when I'm reading your Twitter feed. If, if people want good Saints takes and good football takes and you want to get hungry, follow John on Twitter. There's no doubt about that. Um, but Appreciate that. are you going to have enough time to follow this these just great Thanksgiving Day games? I mean, what do you think about the tradition of Lions-Cowboys? I mean, that's how it's always been, right? Lions in that early window, Cowboys in that primetime spot, that 4.30 Thanksgiving slot. There's been a lot of chatter around you know, social media. Even people are starting to write about it like, okay, the, enough's enough. The NFL should start tinkering with this. They should start flexing different games into Thanksgiving. I know people are upset that they have to watch the NFC East this year. What do you think about that? The whole argument between, okay, maybe we should tinker or stick with tradition. What do you think? You know, I understand sticking with it. Uh, I've got a lot of friends in Lions Twitter and I'm, I'm very sympathetic to them. And for a lot of them, this is the highlight of their year is having the Lions on TV right. and seeing if they can pull off the upset this year, if they can chill the gut, see if Kenny Galladay can make a bunch of fun plays. And I, I, I would hate to see them lose that. So I'm, I'm in favor of keeping the Lions in that slot. On the other hand, I'm someone who believes the NFC each should be disbanded. It should be relegated. <laughs> we, 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 we can find a couple of XFL or AAF yeah. teams that would be more fun to watch. Than, Demoted than to the, the NFC. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I mean, gosh, just get them out of here. No, it's, it's awful. We should totally disband the NFC East uh, as an institution. It should not exist. It's, <laughs> it's awful. That, that, that and the Electoral College. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, yeah. So, get, get the Cowboys out of here. I've seen enough in my lifetime. I don't need to see any more, any, any more Cowboys football unless they're losing to the Saints again. Uh, that, that, would, that would be fun. But, you know, I do like that Thanksgiving is kind of this pole event for the NFL to dominate the broadcasts and that, that's what's on TV. You know, you got family food and football in, in most good years. Um, 2020 has been a little bit different, but hopefully we got some competitive gains. Um, the good news is the Cowboys are almost as bad, if not worse, than the Washington football team. So that should be watchable, even if it's not a very, you know, intriguing matchup, not many superstars involved. Two teams with similar talent levels, and that, that should be a fun one to watch. Oh, come on. It's like a playoff game for the NFC East. Come on, John. 
Yeah, you can get down with that. Yeah, yeah. Whoever wins this, um, you know, they'll get their fourth win of the year, and uh, that should be enough to win a playoff first. No, so. no. Listen to you talk, actually, was jogging my memory, because that's what am I most nostalgic about for my childhood on Thanksgiving watching football? It is always that Lions game rooting for them to upset somebody, whether it's like Green Bay or whatever team they're playing, right? They're always playing a team that's way better than them, and you're always like, oh, can the Lions pull off the upset? There's been so many games that I can remember in my childhood where there was like these weird backup quarterbacks that you'd never heard of and the Lions are trying to win the game and that is totally how I think about Thanksgiving football right there rooting for the Lions to find a way to win a game yeah we, we saw that last year we had had uh, David Blau um, David Blau yeah putting, there it is putting, 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 putting on his Superman cape trying to take down the Packers gosh it, it, we got Andy Dalton this year um, the Red, Red Rifle himself yeah it, gosh I, I'm, I'm doing my best you know to have to get out this but it's, you know what, what I think would be interesting is if we really embrace the rivalry game aspect of these Thanksgiving matchups and we, we kind of saw that with Ravens Steelers before it got postponed. We had it last year with Saints Falcons. Why not bring that in for all three of these games? Let's have an annual, I don't know, Lions and Browns matchup at noon uh, there. Let's have Cowboys and 49ers there in, in the afternoon slot. I mean, let's really embrace this with these, these kind of unusual rivalries. We don't see them very often. You know, we got the Great Lakes rivalry with, with Cleveland and, and Detroit. Let's, let's bring that back. I don't know how the NFL is going to figure out their 17-game schedule. But to me, that feels like a way they could kind of put their thumb on the scales and get these really intriguing matchups and really bring them back into the spotlight. That's cool. I think that's a tinker that would make some sense and be kind of fun. So I like that one. I like that one for sure. Real quick on the matchup with the Broncos this week, John. I mean, going to Mile High is never uh, an easy place to play. Uh, definitely not. It's it's just not. A, teams tend to struggle over there. The line is only five and a half on my app right now. I think it opened a little higher. So the lines come down a bit. They're five. It's five and a half to over under 43 and a half. So this is expected to be a real low scoring game. I don't like Drew Locke at all. I don't know if you can tell. So I, I do like the Saints chances, but you know, Vic Fangio over there, the head coach of the Broncos, he's a He's a defensive guy. The Broncos should put up more resistance than the Falcons did. So what do you think about this matchup? What are you looking forward to most to, to seeing on Sunday for the Saints-Broncos? Yeah, it's a tough matchup, man. Um, the Saints have not won in Denver since 1994. Um, it has, it has not happened. That's a I great mean, stat. Great, great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, footballdb.com. Uh, <laughs> so, well, I think a lot of teams have a stat like that in Denver. It's just not a place teams go and win very often. And the Saints don't play there very often with the AFC-NFC split. You know, I just mentioned these uh, these unusual matchups, these unusual rivalries for Thanksgiving. Um, Roger Goodell, I know you're listening, so keep that in mind when you're looking at the schedule here in the spring. But for this matchup specifically, I think it's going to be tough. Vic Fangio, you know, he was the coach of the Dome Patrol for the Saints way back in the day. He is still an excellent defensive coach. He has had a lot of success against the Saints when they've matched up over the years. Um, he's not someone I'm really excited to throw Taysom Hill at. So I think the Saints are going to take a very conservative game plan. Um, I would I would anticipate this being a big Alvin Kamara game just because the Saints will have opportunities to connect with him on these underneath throws, get him in run after catch situations. Um, I would I really do not want to see Taysom throwing deep downfield against Justin, who's an all-star free safety for the Broncos, playing on the franchise tag right now. We saw him punish the Dolphins a week ago when he intercepted the Brian Fitzpatrick there in the end zone. I mean, he's, he's a great player, and he can take advantage of some mistakes from Taysom Hill. I would say that this is a big game for 
you know, AK is obviously going to be a factor. I think the Saints are going to run often with Octavius Murray. Uh, one player who I think could have a bigger week than last than the last time we saw him might be Emmanuel Sanders. Um, he knows this Broncos team very well. Yep. Uh, obviously, he, he played he played there until the midseason trade last season, so he 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 knows them inside and out. Um, he knows this defense pretty well, and he's had more time to work on that connection with Taysom Hill. We saw it take several months for him to get up to speed with Drew Brees, um, owing to the shorter offseason, the lack of practice time and training camp. And now he has to learn to play with a different quarterback entirely who throws a very different football, as Michael Thomas found out last week. So I think this could be a, a, a good matchup for Mandy Sanders, maybe on the, those curls, those whip routes in the, end, in, in the red zone. The, the Saints will find opportunities to get their guys open. After seeing them go into Chicago without their top three receivers and see them walk out with a win, I like their chances in any environment, and that includes Mile High Stadium, as difficult as that place is play. So give me the Saints, like, I don't know, 27-21. They, I'll, I'll say they, they barely cover. I know, I know it opened, opened to six points, favoring the Saints, now down to five and a half. I think the Saints pull it off just because I don't know that the Broncos' offense can put enough points on the Saints' defense. I'm with you. I like the Saints at that number, even on the road. Five and a half, the way the defense is playing against Drew Locke, like uh, I just, there's no way I can back the Broncos there in that game. So I, I'm with you. I lean, Sa- I lean Saints. It's a little bit of a funny matchup, but I think the Saints pull this one out. I think they cover as well. So, all right, John, so, hey, as we wrap up our 13th episode of this podcast, I just want to say uh, I always appreciate you. I always love our talks. I know COVID's going to make Thanksgiving be a little weird, a little different this year for you and for me and for everyone, but uh, I enjoy doing this with you. Um, I'm having a great time. I hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see what happens with this one. We'll be back next week to break it down. Thanks, Ryan. Thankful, thankful for you too, man. I'm glad the show's doing well. We're off to a great start here, 13 episodes, and looking forward to more. To all our Saints fans that listen and subscribe and download and tell your friends we appreciate and love you and happy thanksgiving to everyone we'll talk to you next week this usa today sports podcast has been presented by usa today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store make sure to subscribe for weekly updates the latest fantasy picks from Corey bonini and the huddle podcast inside the weekly line with sportsbook wires jeff clark and Eston mclaren and the bet slipping podcast we'll see you again next week